So this morning I want to pick up where we've been in Acts, looking at what the church is called to be. And Dave spent some time in Acts 2.44 last week, and I want to look again at that verse. And um, as I look at the verse, I, I want to spend more time on the second part of the verse, but this is, this is what it says. Acts 2.44, and all who believed, that means the believers, the, the Christians, those who follow Jesus, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so last week, Dave talked about us being created to be together, and not just us and the Lord type of thing, but us and, and one another. But this morning, I want to look at this idea of, okay, if, if we're supposed to be together, what, what gets in the way of us being together? And this idea of having all things in common, looking at it not just in the sense of um, physical, material things. It's true. Like, right after this, it says that they sold stuff, and they gave stuff away, and, and they were giving money away. And there's a physical manifestation of this idea of having all things in common and being together. But I think before there can be an outward working of that, an outward manifestation, a lot of it we have to look at this morning is the, the issue of it being a heart thing. I mean, later on when it gives a picture of the church in Acts chapter 4, and it talks about them giving stuff away and selling stuff and meeting needs, it says that they were of one heart and one soul. Picture that for a minute, right? That's a little bit deeper than like, hey, we're just like hanging out together. They were one heart and one soul. This morning what I want to talk about is this idea of unity and us being joined together in Christ um, with him and also with, with one another. And what does it mean for us to walk in this unity? What does it mean to walk in this togetherness? And, and how is the Lord act, asking us to to participate in this. Now, here's the thing. I, I understand. Like, there's some weeks when I talk about stuff. Sometimes people come up to me afterwards and be like, man, were you, were you talking right to me? Like, you looked at me once, and it just is exactly what I'm going through. And listen, sometimes I know what you're going through, and a lot of times I have no idea. And sometimes that's just the spirit penetrating your heart, right? This is one of those things this morning that 95% of you could come up to me and say, were you talking to me this morning? Um, and I don't want you to think I'm calling you out. I don't want you to think I'm calling your situation out or your uh, anything like that. What I want to talk about this morning is probably the root of 90 to 95 percent of the issues I deal with among believers. So if I'm talking to you this morning, well, yes, I, I am talking to you this morning, but I'm talking to myself just the same. Um, this this over the past number of weeks has really cut me to the heart and, and been a wrestling and a challenge for me. The high calling of what it means to be together and have all things in common. Again, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense as well. So I think to, to get started, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verses 1 through 6. And Paul's writing this to the church in Corinth, or at Corinth, Ephesus. That's a good letter too, just a different one. A common theme he writes about in a lot of his letters to the church, because the church really struggled with unity a ton. And this is what it says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. I therefore... A prisoner of the, for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. 
just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, stop there for a second. Paul's, Paul's pressing them in the midst of, of unity because a lot of times, right, when people are, are, are together, disunity erupts. It doesn't take too long for that to take place. But he's reminding them of the things that unify them. He's saying, listen, we got one, one God, one Son of Jesus, one Spirit. We have one baptism, one faith. Like, guys, remember, these are the things that unite us together. This is what we have in common. This is what the Lord has brought us together under the banner of Jesus. He says this to start it out. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received. Walk in a manner, walk in the way that is consistent with the calling on your life. Walk in a way that's worthy of the calling that God has given us. Now, a lot of times as, as individuals, we're always like, what's God calling me to? What's my future? What's my job? I mean, right? Those things are important. But I think Paul here is talking about something much more broad than that. Say, what's my call? The calling that we have received is the same for every believer as an individual. And our calling is to walk in the newness of life that we've received in Christ Jesus. That we grow in maturity and become more like Christ, displaying his character and his nature to those around us. So that when people see it, they may glorify the God in heaven. Make sense? Your call is the same as mine. Grow in maturity in Christ Jesus. Now that's not just a me and God type of thing. We have a calling that we have together as brothers and sisters as well. Is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are brought into unity into Christ Jesus. We are brought into unity in his body. And, and sometimes I think we got to be careful how we talk about it. It's not like this is the body of Moran Park and this body over here, that body over there. There's one body of Christ Jesus, which is all believers for all time in all places. We are unified as brothers and sisters together. And here, here's the thing. Sometimes I think we forget this aspect of the gospel is that we forget that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are brought into a covenant relationship with God, which is this deep, intimate oneness that we have with God. But it's not just our deep oneness and intimacy with God. It's a deep oneness and commitment that we have to one another. There's a covenant with God and with one another as brothers and sisters. Therefore, as brothers and sisters... Under the headship of Jesus, we have the calling to grow into maturity to look more like Christ. Where it says in Ephesians chapter 3 that our job as the church, which is brothers and sisters together, is to display the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly realms. And elsewhere it talks about not just the heavenly realms, but in the earthly realms. Our job, high calling, as brothers and sisters together, is to look more and more like Jesus so that we can display his character and his nature to the seen and unseen world. So that when they see it, they would praise and worship God himself. I think this is important because I think sometimes we forget th this is our new identity. Oh, thank you. Praise the Lord. Sorry if you didn't hear it. It was just a uh, baptism. Um, we have this new calling where we are brought into Christ, where we are given this new nature, where we now begin the process of growing into maturity. But I, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take long to recognize that we haven't gotten that down pat just yet, right? We, we don't come in this morning, and not all of us walk perfectly in uh, living just like Jesus this morning. Some of you probably freaked out on your kids at the breakfast table this morning, right? So, okay. Um, so, some of you, right, you, you made a mistake. You, you, uh, 
you, you maybe portrayed things in a different light this morning to make yourself look better. Maybe you screwed up last night. Whatever it may be. You do, I don't need to remind you that we haven't walked in perfection yet. This is a process that we're growing in called sanctification. Where we are growing, not just us and the Lord, but together. We are growing together to look more and more like Jesus. But it's a process. And it's a hard process because sometimes we, we just go back to the old way we were. Selfishness and, and pride and arrogance. And back to the old addictions and the old habits and the old ways that we treat one another. And so what happens is because we're broken people and we're hurt people, hurt people hurt people. Am I right? And, and on this journey together, we, we rub each other the wrong way. We offend people. We wrong people. We hurt people. We make people mad. People make us mad. People offend us. And that's why I really appreciate what Paul's saying here. He says, yes, you've got to walk in a manner worthy to which you've been called. But then he gives us some insight on how to begin walking this out. And he says this in verse 2. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So this is the attitude of the heart that we must have as we walk towards growing in maturity. But then he says this, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. Verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Depending on your translation, your translation may say, make every effort... To maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's interesting that Paul here uses the term maintaining the unity of the spirit. Because if you're maintaining something, you are keeping something you already have. Something you already possess. Right? If you're driving on the highway, uh, going 70 on the highway, and you're supposed to maintain your speed. It's keep this thing, the speed you already have. You're not hoping to get something you don't have. You're not trying to attain something that you do not possess. If you are maintaining something, you are holding something which you already have, which I think is essential to understand the unity that we're called to is as we work towards unity, we're not working towards something we hope to attain one day. We're simply maintaining and walking in the unity that we already have through the Spirit of God. We start from the position of already being unified with God and with one another, and we simply have to do the work of maintaining what we already have in the spiritual realm. All right, think about this. Let's look at how God does this with us first. He says, We are united with Christ, we are in Christ, we have this union. When you enter a covenant relationship with someone, it's not just an agreement. It's saying, I'm bringing my whole self, and the other party's bringing their whole self, and you're being joined together in this inseparable unit together. And when God does this with us, we are united with him. But God doesn't just stop there. As we continue to screw up and mess up, God continues to maintain the unity that he has with us. How? It says throughout the Psalms that God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is merciful. That means that when we screw up, God doesn't go, well, we were one. You screwed it up. You broke it off. Best of luck to you. I gave you a chance. When we screw up, which we do time and time and time again, God continues to say, I continue to show mercy. I continue to forgive you. I continue to draw near to you. I continue to wash your sins clean. And that's why it says, when we continue to come back to him time and time and time again, it says, he separates our sin from himself as far as the east is from the west. He removes our sin and remembers it no more. 
that God doesn't say, all right, listen, we, we're united, we're close, we've got this really deep relationship, but you know what? You've screwed up for the 37th time this week. I'm done with you. Right? Don't, I don't know if you ever feel that way. You're like, God must be so tired of me walking in the same sin. Like, we have this heart so often. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate it. And like, okay, maybe it's been a longer period of time since I've done it. But like, it just stinks that it's still around. I, I'm tired of it. And if I'm tired of it, God most definitely must be tired of it. And therefore, he must definitely be tired with me. Anyone else feel that way? It's a load of um, garbage, right? A load of garbage. Because God continues to maintain that unity by pouring out generously that forgiveness time and time and time again. This is also what it says about who God is and how he continues to maintain the unity that he has with us as he's slow to anger. I think some of us have this false understanding that God's just waiting for us to screw up so he can just pounce on us and make us pay for the wrong that we've done. God is slow to anger. He's not easily offended like we often are. He's not just simply, uh, wait, every time that we do something wrong, his feelings don't get hurt. And like, oh, I can't believe you did that again. He continues to be slow to anger towards us. And then it says this, he's abounding in steadfast love. I love the term steadfast love because so often in a human sense, our love for each other and our oneness with one another is so much based on our emotions and feelings and how the other person responds. God being steadfast in his love for us means it's consistent, it's unchanging, it's unwavering. It's not one day he wakes up and he's like, oh, I'm feeling, I'm in a good mood, man. I love these guys so much. And the next day, I'm in a bad mood. I don't love them. Nonsense. He's consistent in his love for you. Which means if you had an awesome day, he loves you just as much as if you had a terrible day today. Because his love for us is not dependent upon what we did or didn't do this morning. His love is based on his love towards us. Here's the other thing. Because his love is it's steadfast, it's consistent, it's pursuing, he's the one that initiates in his love towards us. That we are one with him, but when we start walking away, God doesn't just go, I hope they come back at some point. He chases down, he pursues, he opens our heart. He comes, and some of you are testimony to this, is not only at the moment of your salvation where he came and got you from a dark place, those times when we turn away and we go to dark places, he continues to chase us down, hound us down, and pull us back because he's a God filled with steadfast, consistent, pursuing love. Because he does all the work. While we are united with him and one with him, he continues to maintain the union that he has with us through the spirit. Does that make sense? All right, let's look about this. Let's look at marriage. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. When you come together in marriage, um, like a lot of you are getting engaged these days. Congratulations. It's awesome. And I think we have this idea like, oh, marriage is going to be like, it's going to be amazing. And this, we're never going to fight. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible. Maybe not, but um, <laughs> it, it's a beautiful thing when we come together in marriage, the, the, the covenant marriage. Marriage is a covenant, right? Where two parties are bringing their whole selves and the old part dying. And so we're now becoming not just two individuals joined together. We're becoming one flesh. The image of one flesh. The oneness that exists. There, there's this deep unity. But if you just coast in your marriage, you don't get closer and closer to living out that oneness. Am I right? It takes work and effort to maintain the unity that you already possess together. 
Because there's so many things coming against you of your own sinful nature, your own selfishness, your own junk of the world that wants to creep in. And the enemy himself who wants to divide the union that God has brought together, who's fighting against you, that you are united in marriage together. But there's this continual ongoing work of saying, I'm going to fight to do everything I can to maintain, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Which in a minute we'll get into what does that look like, what's required. My point being this morning is, this maintaining unity is something that's work on our, our part. In, in this ESV translation, it says, be eager to desire, which I think is a, I like that because it really captures the heart. It's like, am I eager to maintain unity? Am I pursuing unity with brothers and sisters? Am I eager for it? Do I long for it? Do I deeply desire unity? The other translation captures more of the action rather than just the heart, which says, uh, do everything you can to maintain the, the unity of the spirit. Make every effort that is more action-oriented. And so the question I've been asking myself a lot the past couple weeks is, am I eager to maintain unity? Because Jesus is eager to maintain unity. John chapter 17, this long chapter about Jesus praying for his disciples, then he starts praying for us. Why don't you turn there? I think we have, we have time to go there. John 17, 20. Jesus says this, or uh, in verse 17, 20, uh, John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, that means that his current disciples back then, but also for those who would believe in me through their word, which is us and all future believers. And he could have prayed for anything, but what does he pray for for us? That they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for us that we would be unified. Like, if it was a big deal to Jesus, do you think it should be a big deal to us? Like, of all things that he could have prayed for, he prayed that we'd be unified. Probably because he knew that we'd struggle deeply with being unified, am I right? That we'd, we'd, we'd bother each other, we'd offend each other, we'd rub each other the wrong way, we'd do wrong to each other. But he prayed that we'd be unified. And the reason why he says he prayed that we'd be unified, he says, I pray that they would be one, that they'd be so unified, just as, Father, you and I are one, that they may be one as we are one, so that the world may know that you have sent me. The desire is that when people look in and see brothers and sisters, see the church treating one another the way God has forgiven us, the way that we pursue unity with each other, the way God pursues unity with us, is that the world would see that and they would be taken aback by how radical it is and go, who is this God with which you worship? By the way we treat one another, by the way we are unified, is an exact, is a, um, I, I, I feel like we make unity so optional. We're like, yeah, I want to do kind things to people, but unity, that's ah, not the big of a deal. He's saying how unified we are determines how much people will understand who God is. How unified we are will help people understand who Jesus truly is, that he is truly sent by the Father if we are unified with one another the way the Father and the Son are unified. So, so what does that look like? What does it look like to maintain unity? Let's look at it. Romans 14. Romans 12, sorry. I'm going to start in verse 14 of Romans 12. It looks all amazing. We just don't have time. 
he's getting into here more about what it means to, I think, live this unified um, and maintain unity with one another. The action required. He says this in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. All right? So he's saying the way that we actively maintain unity is that when someone wrongs us or someone uh, curses us or someone hurts us, that we don't seek retaliation, we don't seek revenge. We pray for their blessing. We pray that God would bless them abundantly and God would uh, either forgiveness. And, but the thing is, it's not just forgiveness, which says, I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. It goes one up. It says, not only am I not going to forgive, the, uh, I will forgive them and not hold anything against them. I want their good. I want their blessing. I want them to God pour radical blessings out upon them. But I don't know about you, but sometimes when people wrong me, that's not my first instinct. It's more curses upon them, right? But it says when we maintain the unity is that we are blessing those who wrong us, blessing those who persecute us, and not cursing them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Like this for me is one of the biggest tests on whether I'm living in unity with someone. Is when someone, a brother or sister, again, I'm talk, we're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about believers with believers. Is that when another believer uh, that I've had issues with in the past, when they start to succeed and good things start happening to them and God starts uh, 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 pouring a blessing upon them and God starts putting them in positions of power and authority and blessing, is my response, oh, praise God, that's awesome to see what you're doing in their life. Or I'm like, huh, why them? Huh, Really? You know what that guy, God, God, let me remind you what that guy did to me. Maybe you have forgotten, right? Is my response to rejoice with those who rejoice. Likewise, is my response to mourn with those who mourn. When something bad is happening to those, a brother or sister is my response, oh good, they deserve it. Oh good, they got what coming to them. Or is my response, oh. I'm so sorry. Oh, God, would you bring blessing upon them? God, would you comfort them? God, as a brother or sister in Christ, like, would you, would you protect them and hem them in, God? Like, do, am I mourning when they mourn? A lot of times, if you're wondering if you are living in disunity with a brother or sister, for me, that's always a, an easy test. Do you rejoice when they rejoice, and do you mourn when they mourn? It says this. Verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty. Be so. Uh, but associate with the, lonely, the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Pause there for a second. For me, this is always like one of the biggest struggles for doing everything I can to maintain unity. For me to make every effort to maintain the bonds of, of unity is um, I think I'm right most of the time. And so what ends up happening for me is in a situation where I've been wronged, um, in a situation where I've been wronged, I tend to approach a situation as understanding not only is my perspective a perspective, but my perspective is the perspective. And my perspective is the right perspective. And what the Lord's been humbling me a lot in lately, well, a lot of things, but this is one of them, is to understand that when there's a situation or someone rubs me the wrong way or someone harms me or someone says something to me or does something to me, for me to understand, my perspective is a perspective, but it's not the only perspective. And it's actually incredibly arrogant for me to think, well, of course, I'm seeing the situation completely purely. And I'm seeing the situation completely accurately. And I'm seeing the situation completely rightly without understanding maybe they have information that I don't have. 
Maybe they're seeing things differently or they're interpreting things differently. Or maybe I said something in a way I didn't understand or didn't mean to say, but they perceived it that way. And so much of the time, I think, I can work on maintaining unity by simply walking into those conversations with greater humility and saying, help me understand where you're coming from. Not assuming I'm right and trying to persuade you to see it my way, but to say, here's where I'm coming from. Where are you coming from? Why did you respond that way? What's been going on? Is this verse 17? Repay no one evil for evil, but give it thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Ooh. If we are to be eager to maintain unity, I think one of the things that we can all grow in is to speak honorably and act honorably towards people. Now, a lot of times in our culture, we will act honorably towards each other to their face, but we will speak dishonorably to people when they're not around. Am I right? And so I think one of the ways that we can seek to maintain unity and speak to grow in unity is that we would be people that speak honorably of people, even those who have wronged us and offended us when they're there and when they're not there. Now, I understand, like, sometimes, sometimes I, I, I got these situations in my head. I just need someone to talk to about it, right? And so I'll go to a trusted friend and kind of work through the situation with them. But I think we have to be very cautious in that because sometimes we think we're going to someone for wisdom and we're actually going to someone to have someone on our side to slam the person who has wronged us. Am I right? So I think we have to go with the heart of saying, I want to seek reconciliation. I want to seek unity. Will you help me uh, understand, am I wrong here? Am I right? Help me, help me work through this. And hopefully that person is going to spur you on towards not just keeping it yourself, but going to the person who has wronged you so that you can have a conversation about and working towards reconciliation, working toward maintaining that unity. Before I go on, I think that's where some of us, and I say us, are at this morning. Or for some of you, you've spoken in a non-honorable way to people and you've justified it. Because you say, well, it's true, this is what they've done. Yeah, I understand. There's still a way to speak honorably about people, even though you're talking about a situation that's true and where you've been deeply hurt. I, I know sometimes when I say this stuff and I'm talking about maintaining unity, there's this easy, sometimes I do it all the time, I do it all the time. Where we want to justify our emotion, we want to justify our response, we want to justify our bitterness and our unforgiveness, we want to justify us holding on to revenge because of what someone has done. And let me tell you, some of you have been through some horrific things and some people have done some terrible and awful and purely evil things to you. And I'm not justifying the things that have been done to you. But if it's a brother or sister, we have the obligation to do what Christ has done to us, towards us and seek working towards reconciliation. Now listen, it says this in the very next, ver next verse, this may or may not be possible. It says, if possible, verse 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Like sometimes, okay, okay, there's a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. Like, reconciliation is where work is required by two parties. The person who has been wronged, that person has to forgive. But the person who has done the wrong, there has to be true repentance, a turning. And, And the thing is, we can make every effort on our part, but you cannot control the response of the other person. And here's what I, my tendency, and probably your tendency too, is, is we would like to assume what their response is going to be before we've even given a chance for them to respond. Where we say, well, they're not going to repent anyway, or, or they're not going to agree, or they're just going to, whatever it may be. And we assume what the response is going to be before we even give them a chance to respond. And, and not then we prevent them from moving towards reconciliation. Our job is to worry about our side of the equation and say, I'm going to do everything on my end that is possible to seek reconciliation. I'm going to do everything on my end that is possible to maintain the, the unity of peace. It says, right, if possible, it may not be possible, but time will tell. Our job is, is where it says, so far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Now listen, there's times where you're going to forgive and you're going you're gonna to say, God, I, I continue to give them to you. I'm going to take them off my hook. I'm going to put them on, on your hook. And, and you're going you're gonna to forgive and they're going to not walk in repentance. And sometimes over time that means that there's a separation in the relationship. That doesn't mean things just go back to the way they were. But our hearts should break and cry out for us to be unified with brothers and sisters. Some of you this morning, some of you this morning have lost all hope for any kind of reconciliation. Some of you have been in situations where relationships have been broken for years and decades. And I just pray this morning that God would fill you with all hope. And I encourage you to continue to do everything as is possible on your end to maintain peace and we'll pray that their heart is changed to respond to come back to relationship with you listen I, I i i know i know this is hard i know sometimes i talk about this it's like okay this is easy for you Brent. like I know that there, some of you have been so deeply hurt by people, and they say, the person that has hurt you, the person that's wrong, they said they're sorry, they, they said that they're, they're, they're repentant, they said that things have changed, and, and, and you, you, you're so uncertain about letting them back in because you're so afraid of, what if they hurt me again, what if they let me down again, what if they disappoint me again, and I'll tell you what, the odds are they will. But praise be to God, the one who doesn't neglect us, the one who doesn't give up on us, when he continues to let us in time and time and time again, when we disappoint him, when we let him down, and we continue to sin doing the same dumb thing over and over, God continues to let us in to know his heart and be known by him too. And I know when I say this, it's like, oh, but you don't know. I know, I don't know. I don't know your situation. I don't. And I'm not saying don't use wisdom. 
I'm not saying don't let time determine if there's true repentance. I'm not saying you got to give space to time. There's all, listen, there's a bazillion situations and a bazillion circumstances, and I understand all that. But the heart is, am I eager to maintain unity? Or have I given up? Here's the good news. This is not possible for you to do. Wait, I thought that was good news. That's awesome news. Because you leaving here trying to forgive someone, you leaving here trying to restore things, you leaving here not to harbor bitterness, you leaving here having to have a hard conversation with someone, you leaving here trying to let something go. You, I mean, if you try hard enough, man, it, it just ain't going to happen. But praise the Lord. He gives us the spirit of the one who does this perfectly, who dwells within us. And we say, God, I can't do it. You got to do it for me. Some of you this morning are even wrestling like, okay, I've forgiven someone, right? And you're like, this sounds great, Britain. I've forgiven someone, but why do I still feel the way I feel against them? I've forgiven them, but why does my heart hurt so bad? I've forgiven them, but why does the sting hurt so bad? I've forgiven them, but why can't I stop thinking about the event? And I'll tell you what. I think that's where we simply have to go, Lord, go, God, I cannot stop thinking about this. God, will you forgive me? Not forgive. God, will you heal my heart? Some of you have been walking so honorably. Some of you have been walking so honorably in forgiveness and letting things go. And some of you are seeking reconciliation. You're doing everything that God has called you to do, but your heart still hurts this morning. If that's you this morning, I simply say, may your heart experience healing and wholeness this morning in Jesus' name. I wish I could snap or clap and say it's all better. Some of you have been through atrocities, it's horrible stuff. And it's only going to be by the grace of God to heal your hearts this morning. You know, yeah, that's it. I want to, I want to end, I want to end there. But first, I feel like the Lord wants to do something with that. I cry for a lot of things, which you, you all know, but sometimes I just get, sometimes I get so moved to emotion because I just feel the Father's love for you. It's like too much to contain. And so I, I want to I invite you to, for those that want prayer, for a few specific things this morning, I want you to stand up to pray for you. For those who have lost hope for for peace to be restored. For those of you who lost pe- have lost hope for relationships to be reconciled. <laughs> for those of you who have forgiven and try to keep moving on, but your heart just still hurts so bad. For prayer that God would heal your heart. I'm going to invite you to stand. For either one of those, I invite you to stand. going to pray, but I need prayer for that too. Don't make me get you pray for me. You want to pray for us? Lord, send your spirit here.
you are our great comforter. I pray for comfort for Britain specifically right now. I pray the same for everyone standing. You love us. You made us. You fight for us. Father, the depths that you will come down, the depths of darkness that you will come down and, and, and find us is nothing we can comprehend. We can only experience that. Um, so we just pray your hand reach down into the darkness, into the pain, into the depths that we feel lost, confused, discouraged, and meet us there. Meet those who are standing, meet Britain there, and just shine your light in that. And bring your comfort and your peace in that. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, you can stand. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to pray for the rest of us as well. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you praying for that. Let's pray. God, thanks for answering your prayer of taking us where you want to go this morning. God, would you give in each one of us a desire to maintain the peace? Would you give us a desire to maintain unity that we have in you? For those areas where we settled for something less, God, would you give us hope? For those that are weary, God, I too, I joined Mitch in praying for, for uh, uh, the, 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 the weariness would leave in Jesus' name, that you would give us new hope, new joy, new expectation. God, where those, those relationships seem that it's like just not possible. God, that you would do a miraculous work in restoring among brothers and sisters. For those relationships that are broken because the other person does not know you and is walking in sin and walking the way of the world. God, I pray for radical salvation that they would come to know you and that they would be able to forgive as you have forgiven us. God, I know our response is we're called to forgive is when your disciples, when you said, how many times should we forgive? And you said 70 times 7. And the response was, whoa, give us faith. God, that's our prayer this morning, that you would give us faith. Give us faith to do what you've asked us to do, God. I pray that you would continue to empower us through your Holy Spirit, not by our, our effort and our trying harder, but God, through the power of your Spirit, that you would give us the ability to continue each day to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Thank you that we're fighting from a position of victory. Thank you that we already have unity and we simply get the work of maintaining it. God, for those marriages, whoa, for those marriages this morning that are, 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 feel like they're unified only in uh, theological principle only, God, I pray for a radical restoration of the unity that they've received through the holy bond of marriage. God, for deep unforgiveness and deep wounds, God, I pray for radical humility and radical restoration, God, and radical forgiveness and radical reconciliation between marriages, God, for those who have given up all hope, for those who have quit, who said, I can't do it anymore. God, I pray that you would unite them through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thanks, God, for your love for us. Thanks that you are merciful and gracious, that you are slow to anger with us, and that you are abounding in steadfast love. God, would you fill us with those things that we may express them to one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.